Hello, I'm Sarah James, a lifestyle blogger and self-help aficionado. And I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and psychotherapist. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast in the Life Listen Network about two women embarking on a self-care bender. We're both of the opinion that self-care is important, and yet it's elusive. And while we may have all the information we need, we don't always get there. We want to explore different aspects of self-care, from the silly to the serious, looking at body, mind, and spirit, and also just some random talk that's thrown in there for good measure. We we also want to look at the defenses and distractions to keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. Hey guys, so today is our first in a series of episodes we're going to be doing about the Enneagram personality typing. Now, if you are not familiar, don't be scared. I know it's a weird sounding word, um, but as Sarah and I have both been learning more and more about the Enneagram in the past few months, we are convinced it is a really fascinating and insightful way of learning about yourself, your strengths, your stress mechanisms, and how to be a more whole person. You guys, it is fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I'm just at the tip of the iceberg right now, but I'm what I'm learning about myself and my motivations and the reasons I do the things I do in this world it's really, really cool. So today we're actually talking to two Enneagram experts and they are going to tell us, we're going to start from the very basics, just from what it is, where it originated, what are the personality types? So you can kind of get a better feel for what this is all about. And just to give you a preview of what's to come, we're actually going to spend the entire hour on the Enneagram today, which is unusual for us because we usually like to bounce around from <laughs> silly to serious topics. We're going to spend the whole day today on the Enneagram, but in the coming weeks, we're going to take a deeper dive into each type. And then we're also going to get back to our regularly scheduled um, <laughs> Viva care. Random. <laughs> yes. So, you know, we're going to be in the next few weeks talking about each Enneagram type, but we're also going to be talking about Botox and about snacks we can't live without and about staying sane during the holidays and New Year's resolutions. So we've got lots of varied and interesting topics coming up, but we are going to talk a bit about the Enneagram in every episode for the next couple of weeks. Well, today we are going to chat with Lee Kramer, who is a self-described Enneagram enthusiast. Um, she's also an incredible writer. She has a blog at leekramer.com. Um, and we're super excited to chat with her because she has a lot of insight into the Enneagram. Lee, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, you know, for folks who are listening who are like, what the heck is this Enneagram? <laughs> <laughs> Go to her website. It sounds super, it does sound kind of weird. Yes. Like Enneagram. Mm -hmm. It actually sounds like, and it looks kind of satanic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but Lee, yeah. like what, you know, what's a simple working definition of this Enneagram thing? I always say that the Enneagram describes why you are. It really gets at our motivations for our behavior, our emotions, our beliefs, um, kind of explains, you know, why we are the way we are. So for for people again who are just totally new to this, why is the Enneagram useful? Like what what can people glean? I mean, we're about to embark on a 10 episode series on the Enneagram. So, you know, for people who are like, what the heck? Like, why is this important? Why would they want to tune in and learn more about the Enneagram? Uh I I feel like it is the personality type system that um really explains our behavior, and it also provides a pathway for individual growth. And I think that's the, the biggest difference between it and other personality type systems. So you can understand yourself better, learn how to become more healthier, and also use it to better understand the people that are most important to you. I feel like it's a great way to improve communication and handle conflict. Um, and, and also just learning how to avoid your own self-defeating behaviors. Um, it's, I, I don't know, I, I can go on and on about it because it's made such a big, big difference in my life and my relationships. And I feel like everyone uh, should explore it, figure out their type and use it in their own, in their own life. Well, I think one of the things that's so different with me about this personality test is that it does talk a lot about the ways you can defeat yourself and some some of the more negative traits, which I think are um, hard to read. 
At least they were for me, especially, you know, (laughs) um, as people kind of delve into this, you know, it kind of starts at your, your healthiest self for your type and you kind of move down into like when you're not so healthy. And I remember Mm -hmm. reading those ones, those like the, the bottom three thinking, first of all, number one, I could see myself in that place which mm-hmm. was super scary. Now, of course, I'm a three. So I think it was pretty much saying that I was going to be a psychopathic mass murderer at my <laughs> unhealthiest, <laughs> which I was like, I don't think I could be that unhealthy. But still, it's, um, it's don't you agree? It's so different in that way that it's not yeah. just all like fluff or how people perceive you. It really gets down to like your inner motivations, whether they be positive or negative, right? Yeah, I, I feel like most people, when they figure out their type, they kind of wince and they maybe don't want to tell you their type. Or I, I mean, I was personally horrified. I'm a four. And when I figured it out, I was like, oh my gosh, I wanted to apologize to everyone in my life and be like, I'm, I'm so sorry that I am the way that I am. Thank you for putting up with me. Thank you. So what is it about a four? Like what, what was it about the four that you were like, oh no, oh no. Oh, we can be so moody and people feel like they have to walk on eggshells around us. And I was like, Oh yeah, I've I've gotten some feedback around that before. Sure, yeah, I'm a I'm a picnic. <laughs> You're like that okay, resonates. that resonates. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, but what's interesting about the enneagram is, and I've heard that before, is like if you're not sure on your type, like pick the one that makes you go like, oh, <laughs> not right. that the one that oh, you don't want to be. <laughs> Just to clarify, there are actual tests you can take to find your type, which you should mm-hmm. probably do. And we're going to link to them on selfiepodcast.com. There are free tests. There are paid tests. We highly recommend the $12. You can, you know, throw a little $12 at it. Um, test to figure out your type because it will, that one's a little more extensive. But mm-hmm. just to clarify, there's no like ideal type. It's not like one type is better than the other and you lose the lottery if you're like a certain <laughs> type. All of the types have really good positives and all of the types have negative coping skills, stress mm-hmm. responses. You know, it's not like, oh, thank God you're like this type and not the other. Right. Right. That's right. so true. So maybe we should get into the types and yeah. maybe Lee, you can help us walk through, you know, briefly all the nine types. So we can see if people maybe might feel like they identify with one or the other. So let's start with a type one. What's a type one all about? Uh, type ones are known as the teachers or the perfectionists, which gives you an idea of what their driving motivation is. Um, they have the, the need to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the root struggle is anger or resentment, um, and a lot of ones will say that they are not angry people. But if you know a one, you would maybe disagree with that. Really? Mm-hmm. So, kind of the underlying motivation is to be right is that is that or to be good to be good or to like Like that perfection is not just in um what they do but who they are okay and they don't want to be wrong (laughs) right okay yes okay and I'm sorry what were you saying at their like at their worst um well so the root struggle is is anger or resentment so they're just not in touch with um how they actually feel Okay. Um, or at least not their angry feelings, because that would mean that they're not perfect. Mm, okay. That's and, interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, type ones, they, they can be very conscientious people. They're the person you want working with you on a group project. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they're the ones you want scheduling things for you. Um, you know, an average one struggles with making mistakes. They're well-organized. You know, they're the people who, um, who you want um, helping you condo your house. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, or planning a party or. Totally. But then they can be workaholics. They can be, you know, described as anal, dogmatic. They can be self-righteous and intolerant. They can be inflexible. Um, those are some of the negatives of the one. And they're kind of driven by their inner critic, right? Like yes. there's like yes. kind of that voice in the head that's, mm-hmm. you know, always writing them about something. Mm-hmm. They say that Hillary Clinton is a one. Yes. Martha Stewart. Um, so it is that kind of perfectionistic. <laughs> I've heard that um, Saturday Night Live's The Church Lady is a one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good call. Yeah. That is a good call. 
They tend to be I very black and white. I actually had a who was a one in college. And it was a struggle because, you know, she really did want everything perfect. And she wanted our beds made every day. And she wanted the kitchen to be completely clean. And um, I'm a three. Um, threes are interested in achievement and production, but not necessarily perfection. So I'm a slam at home kind of girl. Like, mm-hmm. just get it done quick. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but not necessarily well. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, that was a little bit of a challenge for us. So what about twos? So twos are known as the helpers or the caretakers. They have the need to be needed. Um, they struggle with pride. Um, they take a lot of satisfaction in, in their own virtuousness and they see themselves only as loving well-intentioned people. And to a degree, they, they really are loving, well-intentioned people, but they can also be manipulative. Uh, they can put their own ideas of what you should do. They, they really like to tell people what to do. Okay. Um, it's interesting because I feel like the two is in our society in many ways, kind of the ideal mother mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's the generous, it's the person who wants to take care of others. I think that there's definitely kind of, um, you know, we're socialized as women to sort of be these caretakers, helpers. Um, And it's funny for me because I'm not a two at all. So (laughs) when I read the two description, I'm like, wow, like that's, that's kind of the best one. (laughs) Which again, you're not supposed to do, but you know, like, wow, that's like generous and helpful. Like twos are kind of awesome. But um, I have some really close friends who are twos. And in talking with them, I kind of recognize how it, they can also be demanding and codependent. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be needy. They can guilt other people. And sometimes their need to help is really about receiving the affirmation for helping. Yes. Right. I remember reading about that, almost like to make themselves feel more important. Like that's yeah. or kind loved. Of, or yeah, you're loved. Yes. Exactly. And, you know, codependency and the two personality are, you know, kind of bedmates mm-hmm. you know there are great strengths to the twos the twos have your back man they've got yes. your back in a, in a crisis they're you know they're loyal they're helpful um can be great listeners really yep. empathetic very yeah so it looks like some famous twos are princess diana mother Teresa, mm-hmm. and mr rogers Oh, oh, I know. That's a good one. I know. <laughs> so it's funny that you mentioned that about the two, Kristen, because, you know, I am also a three. And I thought the same thing when I read the two. I'm like, oh, that's a really good person. <laughs> that is not like me. <laughs> I wish I was the generous now, one. <laughs> Kristen, you are a two wing, though, correct? I not that we're getting two- into wings right now, but... Yeah. Too soon, Sarah. Sorry. (laughs) No, I am a two wing, which means um, I'm a three, which we're going to get to in a sec. But I do lean towards I I I do put a large emphasis in my life on relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do like to be needed. And I am a little bit codependent. So let's talk about the threes. Please. I feel like I should Sarah. just let you guys take take the whole thing. <laughs> no, please, like go ahead, ladies. Um, well, Sarah and so Sarah and I were joking because we are both threes. Um, threes are the achiever type. Threes like to be productive. They like to be um, successful. Um, I just I I am cringing as I read this. Like <laughs> my heart. No, because I'm like you're I'm like you're saying the nice things. We like to be admired. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, Threes love to conscious. be admired. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to win and look good while doing it. Correct. Um, you know, so publicly we project high self esteem and like we've got this drive and we're we're meeting all of our career and life goals, mm-hmm. but um sometimes. It, we might privately feel insecure about our own self-worth and we find our self-worth through excelling. Right. Correct. And by we might mm-hmm. feel badly better self-worth, like we literally do. And, you know, <laughs> that, is, right. that is one of the drives of the three because underneath, for, for the three personality type, underneath is this, it's a sense of shame. Mm-hmm. And so what we do in order to feel okay about ourselves is rather than figuring out, you know, how to be, and how to really, you know, feel good internally, 
we do a bunch of external stuff that mm-hmm. we feel like is going to make us good and acceptable. It's performance. It's love through performance. It's love through um, getting things done, being perceived well, um, promoting ourselves. We can be name droppers. We can, um, you know, we want people to see us in a good light. Yes. And it's like, that's a very strong inner contradiction between those two things of our outward, you know, appearance and what we are inwardly. So it's really fun. (laughs) (laughs) It is. And it's tough because I, you know, I definitely feel like this is a huge drive for me. And as a result, I have a very difficult time being present in my life because I'm always feeling like I should be doing something productive. And Mm -hmm. My life is ruled by the to-do list and not in a, in a really unhealthy way. You know, I, I struggle to, I struggle to sit and watch a television show at night. Like I mm-hmm. struggle to, you know, yeah. I'm putting my kids down for bed and my head is racing through the things I need to do next to be productive. Um, that is how I manage my stress and that's how I manage my low self-esteem. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds about right. <laughs> Good times. Can we let's just move on to fours right now, please? Can we just move on to fours? Okay. Well, four. Tell us about the four. I'm a four. Uh, so fours are known as the individualists. They have the need to be special, and our big struggle is envy and comparison, which is awesome. It's really awesome <laughs> to always be comparing myself to everyone and seeing how I stack up. It's a real thrill ride. <laughs> So it's really important for you to be like your self-expression, right? Like it's just, yes. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. And, and authenticity, like okay. figuring out, am I being authentic? And so it's put a lot of thought into, you know, what I'm wearing and what I'm doing. And is this really me? Like trying to figure out what's really me. And there, um, there's a lot of overthinking maybe. Uh, no, or no? Not, not so much, but just, but just plain thinking about it. Okay. um, Trying to be emotionally honest, but then also that can really uh, become moodiness and self-consciousness. And, um, but I, I, to spell out some of our strengths, we can be very creative, Mm -hmm. um, very self-aware and sensitive. Um, We're good at like going into the dark with people and sitting with the hard, complicated situations and um, just being there for other people. Very self-aware and sensitive. Yes. Like intuitive too, would you say? Yes, definitely. Okay. Are the fours kind of like the tortured artist? They can be, not all. Mm -hmm. And I I think Mm -hmm. some people who are fours who are not artists have a hard time seeing themselves in this type because I feel like it's so highly associated with creativity and artistry. And sometimes you have to look at it outside the box of maybe you're not drawing and painting, but maybe you put a lot of creative solutions forward at work. and so it, it may look different for those fours. So, you know, some of the examples of celebrities or public figures who might be a four, I mean, by and large, they are musicians or authors, Virginia Woolf, Stevie Nicks, Kate Winslet, Johnny Depp, Alanis Morissette. I mean, you definitely see in all of these people that kind of unique, different, set apart, uh, more emotionally resonant personality. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. It is. That's my wing. Four is my wing. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering, Lee. I, I was. Four is how my you, wing. How do you feel about that? I don't really know yet. Like, I'm just learning about the wings. I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> I, I'm like, how do I find my wing? What's, I don't understand. And, you know, two and four were actually my lowest scoring. They're like on the bottom of the bottom. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. So, I, and I think a four was only one more than my two. So, I'm like, okay, I guess I'm a four wing. I don't know. I'm still learning about that part. Well, <laughs> I, I can see that because fours, they want to be unique. They don't want to be mainstream. And, yeah. You know, I feel like in terms of um, your fashion, yeah. you know, you definitely, you, you are not cookie cutter. Right. That is, yes, I definitely, well, like Lee was saying, I, I want to be special. I want there, yeah. to stand out in a way. So yes, I that mean, does like make Sarah, sense. You wear high-waisted jeans. 
pants. I wear high <laughs> I wear high waisted jeans and I have bangs. That's the first thing I thought about were my bangs. I'm like, oh, that's why I have the bangs. I'm a four wing. I see how things are. Oh, mm-hmm. this is so fascinating, though. Seriously, it just this whole this just fascinates me. Okay, so but moving along, so we have the five. What is a five all about? Fives are the investigators or the observers. They have the need to perceive. They really want to understand the world around them. Um, the biggest struggle is greed. Um, not necessarily with um, material possessions, but more about their time and their energy um, and their ideas. So fives are all logic. They are very much in their heads, oh, whereas okay. fours are very feelings. Oh. It's not to say we are not like thoughtful people, but we are really driven by our, by our emotions, whereas fives... So the the five is the five is the overthinker, yes. possibly. Okay. Yes. Just the, okay. The fives are analyzing, but it's it's logical. Yes. It's it's rational. It's so. What's the mm-hmm. di- so a five? What would be their downfall? Uh, I I think that they they can become really overly preoccupied with their thoughts, um, whatever they're trying to figure out, to the point where they can become hermits. Uh, they can forget to eat or drink or sleep. Um, so they're just so lost in in the world that they're trying to understand. Um, they want to be the experts. Um, they want to understand everything, um, partly so that they can be self-sufficient, but really they don't want to be seen as foolish. They mm-hmm. really don't like when they don't understand something. I think they... I know a couple of fives. <laughs> but I'm even, even well, looking I at... actually. I do know a five and it's interesting because one of the struggles that I have with my friend who's a five is again, I like productivity, getting things done, making lists. And when she and I try to plan something, she is stuck in her head and she Mm -hmm. will want to sit and like work something out and she'll want to see all sides. And I'm like, could we just make an outline? (laughs) So I think fives can kind of, they can get really stuck in, in their thoughts. And yeah, she is, impractical. Um, you know, she will be like sitting and thinking while everyone else in the room is figuring out like what we're going to do for lunch, you know? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think that's a downfall is that they can kind of, um, check out and let other people deal with the practicalities while they are figuring out life. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the famous fires right now and it's like Charles Darwin, Freud, Isaac Newton. Um, yeah. So I'm getting it. I'm feeling the five now. I mean, they can be extremely brilliant, but then maybe a a lack of common sense at times. Not, not always, not across the board, but I feel like they can just lose sight of the big picture. Okay. So what, what about the sixes? So sixes are the loyalists or the questioners. They have the need for security. Um, their biggest struggle is fear or worry. They're always looking toward the future and imagining what might go wrong and trying to figure out how they can prevent that from happening. Yes. This was almost, this was almost, this is my second highest, the good old boy. Oh, really? That's interesting. Well, I tied between a six and a nine. I was, I mean, I was, I was above all a three that was standing out by itself, but yeah, mm-hmm. these other two. So, so I, six I, is really like structure, right? They really like yes. kind of dependability, loyalty, structure. Mm-hmm. I'm reading here that the average six is a somewhat difficult type for many other types to understand. So why, why would that be? So sixes can be a, a real bundle of contradictions, uh, mostly because the six has two facets, which are phobic and counterphobic. And some sixes are extremely phobic and some are extremely counterphobic. Most are kind of in between and will go back and forth. So a six could be a leader or a follower, and it could change from day to day. So sometimes they're looking to other people for answers and sometimes they're rejecting those answers and just, you know, making up their own. (laughs) Um, Which is why a lot of people will say that Hitler was a six. Okay. Um, Not to throw (laughs) that one out there. Um, But uh, they're the counterphobic six is really reactive and defiant. Um, Okay. Six is more cautious and indecisive. And so if you have, someone who has both facets going at once to deal with someone that can be cautious and indecisive and reactive and defiant, depending on the day, mm-hmm. it would explain why a lot of people don't really know what to make I of that see. type. I see. That makes sense. 
And I even heard it said that some of the, you know, stuff we've seen around politics and certain people being really panicky about their rights being taken away or their Mm -hmm. country, you know, being changed, Mm -hmm. that some of some of those people might be a six, like those people are a little bit more prone to that, that panic about change and that panic about not being um, not being secure. You know, they might be the doomsday preppers kind of thing. In, mm-hmm. in an unhealthy way, you know, in an unhealthy six. Right. And, and so a lot of sixes respond really well to authority figures. So if you have someone coming in and saying, here's what we're going to do to fix it, or here's what you need to be worried about, that's really going to play into how the six um, handles that, that information and, and how they feel about their country. Um, mm-hmm. And I have huh. heard, I've heard the statistic that the six is the most common type. Um, I've heard that, that too. It can really, be up to fifty percent of all people, and I don't. I haven't seen any reliable research around that. I feel like it's more anecdotal. That's uh, surprising to me. Yes, me too. I don't feel like I know many sixes. No, I don't know a lot of sixes. Huh. But if it is, it it could explain a lot too. Yeah, it could. That's really interesting. So I got to ask. This is not really not in line with the next one, but do you make your new friends take a test before you hang out with them? No. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to think I should do that. <laughs> no. And I, try, I do try not to think about someone's type when oh, I'm interacting, unless if we're having conflict. And then I feel like, oh, like all right, how do, I, how do I speak in a way that they're going to understand me or that right. I'll be able to understand them? Uh, uh, my gosh. Your blog, by the way, is so helpful when it comes to this. I do have to say this because when I found out we were interviewing you, I went on it. I'm like, I was just sucked right into it. And you just, I don't know. So anyone, you know, out there that's wanting to look into this, I really would recommend going to Lee's blog and we will link up to it on selfiepodcast.com. Okay. So what are we up to? Sevens? Sevens. Okay. What about the sevens? Sevens are so fun. Uh, they're, They're known as the enthusiasts or the adventurers. Uh, they have the need to avoid pain. The big struggle is gluttony. They're trying to figure, fill up their life with exciting experiences. They don't, um, so they don't have to experience any pain or boredom or like any kind of negative feeling. Um, I think sevens are kind of an idealized type for a lot of us who aren't sevens because they come across as really fun and lively and they're always looking for the next, next big adventure. Um, but that can also lead to more shallow relationships um, and uh, and they can be really impatient and impulsive and um, distracted and maybe not always the most reliable person. Okay. So I am a three and I have always tended to be attracted to sevens, both in friendships and in romantic relationships. And I was married to a seven for 20 years. And it's interesting because I think the reason I'm attracted to them is because I am ruled by being productive and getting things done and having that kind of fun energy seeking, like let's do new things, personality type in my life. I feel like it draws me out. But then at the same time, the downside is that I end up being the social secretary and doing all the hard things while the seven right. is just having a lot of fun. Oh. And it's fun until it's not fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then you realize like, <laughs> wait, like we never actually talk about anything important and you're super avoidant of anything painful. And I feel alone right. when things get yeah. hard. Yeah. But I do. I love, I love being around sevens when, you know, at a party. <laughs> Right. Well, so not so, when you're going through something difficult, maybe. <laughs> but right. I, I wonder what it is. So what is at that core? You know, obviously they don't want to be bored. They're looking for fun. They always want to have like, I guess, instant gratification, I guess you could say maybe. But uh-huh. what is what is what's motivating that? A fear of feeling their feelings. Okay. So they're just mm-hmm. trying to. Okay. Uh-huh. And Ooh. so then the problem is, you know sevens are actually relatively prone to addiction because anytime a negative feeling, they really don't like sitting in their negative feelings. So anytime okay. a negative feeling crops up, they're going to go look for something to eat, something to drink, something to take their mind off of the negative feeling. Um, 
And, you know, if you've got to have that, if you've got to go and do something new, exciting, fun, altering every time you have a negative feeling pop up, not super healthy. Okay. That makes sense. So if you can find a healthy seven, that's, that's a gold mine because totally because yeah. they can learn to deal with conflict and to sit in the negative situations and, you know, really be there for you when you're going through a hard time, um, yeah. as well as helping you get out of your shell and go do the fun, spontaneous thing. So I have a lot of sevens in my life. See, I'm trying to reason. think if I, I, I've never, I haven't asked anyone what they are except for my husband, which is coming up next. Number eight. Oh. What? Yes. Oh yeah. What? Mm-hmm. My mind is blown. <laughs> I would not have thought that. Yeah. Oh right, let's yeah. Talk about the yeah. Eight. <laughs> I'm high on the eight too. I have to admit, which is a three and an eight. That's a great combo. <laughs> uh, I am not an eight. Not even close. No, <laughs> no. you're not. Mm-mm. All right, let's talk about the eight. So the eight is the challenger. Mm-hmm. Yes, they have the need to be against. Um, the the <laughs> wow. root struggle is lust, um, which is really, think about it more in terms of intensity, like wanting to um, really feel alive and uh, have intense interactions with other people and their surroundings, just whatever is going to make them feel something. So yeah, eights, eights don't mind a confrontation and they kind of get off on it. Yeah, definitely. Eights are very uh, black and white. Mm-hmm. They have trouble with the nuances mm-hmm. and the gray. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are not <laughs> afraid at all of expressing their opinion. And I'll give a, like a little anecdote because I can lean into the eight at times. There have been so many times in my life where I have had you know, some kind of a confrontation with someone Um, maybe at a dinner table or, you know, and I've just kind of like pushed back against something that they said. And, you know, we had what in my mind was a lively discussion. And then people pull me aside and they're like, are you okay? Oh my gosh, are you okay? And I'm like, what? Of course I'm okay. But, you know, so my perception of a lively discussion is is confrontive and awkward for many other people. I mean, the beauty of an eight, there are, you know, good qualities of an eight. eight oh, yeah. Eights are social justice advocates. Mm-hmm. They're concerned with fairness. Um, Martin Luther King was an eight. You know, I mean, eights can change the world. Oh, yeah. Um, Definitely. Well, and they're protective. They're resourceful. They're straight talking. They're decisive. Yeah. Gandhi you know. was an eight. So, you know, eights are pushing back against social structures or pushing back against injustice. It, it can, an eight can be used for great good and great harm. Yes. yes. <laughs> Donald Trump is also an eight. <laughs> so we've got Gandhi and we've got Donald Trump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's weigh those two. It can go forth. both ways. But I also read it's surprising how many ones score as eights on Enneagram tests and just using my husband as an example, that's what I assumed he was. I thought he was a one. Yes. And he did one was, um, no, actually I think it was a three, but then it came to a one. So it's just so funny. But when you really, it was interesting because when I saw that it said eight, this just happened by the way, a couple of days ago, I made him take the test and I thought, God, that's really interesting. And then he read through it himself and afterwards was like, yeah, I am an eight. So let's hit number nine. We are at the last of the types. All right. So nines are the peacemakers. Um, They have the need to avoid, which is different from the sevens need to avoid pain. Mm -hmm. The nines are just more avoidant across the board. They really want to have Mm -hmm. this inner peace of mind. um, And their struggle is laziness. Ooh. So nines can really check out. They can zone out of life. They do not like conflict. Um, They don't like anything hard. Um, They are, you know, if you're in a group with a nine, they're going to try to smooth everything over, keep everything happy, keep Mm -hmm. everyone connected and stable and peaceful. Um, But then the problem can come when they just like they're out. They just bow out when things get hard. Mm -hmm. But I have a friend who's a nine who like for weeks at a time, we would just wouldn't be able to get a hold of her or she would just go home and like after work and go to sleep like at six at night and like wouldn't yep. wake up till the next day like just completely checked out now on the flip side they're really good listeners mm-hmm. they're adaptable mm-hmm. they're accommodating to others like Kristen was just saying you know that they're ones that are going to smooth things over but this is why I feel like I really am just so down with the Enneagram 
like everything we've said up to this point, it's just, it's just not looking at the positives or how you're perceived. It is really like looking at both sides of the coin, which we all have. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like I could spend days, months, years on this <laughs> stuff. It's so yes. interesting to me. And I think you you continue to learn about it. I've I've known my type for seven years, and I still am learning new things about myself and the way um, that type four interacts with the world. And mm-hmm. it's it's just been huge. It's made such a big difference. Would you have a couple of books that you recommend for anyone wanting to learn more? Yes, um, I would say once you know your type, um, try to get a copy of The Wisdom of the Enneagram by Riso and Hudson. Um, or The Complete Enneagram by Beatrice Chestnut. I, I feel like if you're trying to determine your type, they're still good. They're still good books, but they're really information dense. And so you might get overwhelmed. So okay. if you just want to learn about the profiles in general, the Enneagram Institute website um, has really great profiles so you can read through. And that's where you can take the test, correct? For the $12. Yes, mm-hmm. yes that's yeah. where I took the test. I would highly recommend that website. All of this on SylviaPodcast.com. All the books, all the websites, all the good stuff. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Lee, for joining us today. You just gave us so much information and it's just going to be, it's perfect. It's a perfect way to look at this as we're starting on this journey all the way through all the types. So we really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. So now that we've talked about the types of the Enneagram, we are now going to talk about the history. Yes, and joining us today in that conversation is Chris Hewerts. Chris wrote the book Sacred Enneagram. And he is very well versed in both the history and the practical application of the Enneagram. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for for including me. So talk to us a little bit about the history of the Enneagram. It's a weird word. It sounds very mystical. How did this, and I know that there's some mysticism in the genesis of the whole thing. How did this get started? The clearest evidence of, of what we may have about it shows up um, in the late 1800s by uh, a Turkish Armenian man by the name of George Gurdjieff. And he uh, was sort of uncovering fragments of this lost teaching and, and eventually um, led him to Egypt, from Egypt up to Afghanistan, and then from Afghanistan to Russia, where he opened a, an institute for the harmonious development of humanity. And in, in 1916, they say that that Gurdjieff introduced what we know now to be the, the, the symbol of the Enneagram. And, and, and when Gurdjieff passed on, um, a couple of his disciples sort of brought this forward, but it was, was, was ultimately really sort of tucked away as sort of afterthoughts in, in one of the books that, that was published in 1947. So Ichazo started to teach this in the late 60s, and uh, one of the, the students of his who, who, who first learned this was a gestalt therapist from Chile. His name was Claudio Naranjo. And, and Naranjo took this to, 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 to Berkeley um, and, and on a Saturday mornings in his backyard with these graduate schools. And, 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 and in the early 70s, over, over the course of several years, began to build out psychological profiles or Enneagram types um, with just really um, a handful of these, these Enneagons. And so 1971, I think, is really when you start to see the modern application of the Enneagram as, as, a, as a character structure tool sort of form. Yeah, which I find so fascinating because it's this thing that has roots in mysticism and in spirituality, but then it kind of has psychologists take it over. And for myself, as a person who's interested in both spirituality and psychology, I love that little marriage there and the kind of the taking up of it and refining it in psychological circles is interesting. Right. And so one of his students, one of Naranjo's students in, in the early seventies was a Jesuit priest by the name of Bob Oaks. And Bob actually, all these students in Naranjo's backyard so, sort of signed these confidentiality agreements saying that they wouldn't teach this until Naranjo gave them permission. Because, you know, as, as folks sort of come to terms with the Enneagram, it's, it's exciting. It finally gives you the, the framework to sort of narrate to yourself what you've always intuitively known about yourself, but didn't have the sort of, structure to wrap around. Well, well, Naranjo realized this is a weaponizing of this. People get really excited and they start reducing themselves to type. They start reducing people to caricatures and foibles. So he was, he was insistent that, that people integrate it before they share it, that they do the hard work of, of what this takes to sort of own this teaching. And, uh, 
And Bob Oak sort of broke that confidentiality agreement and sharing it with his Jesuits, um, his Jesuit community at Loyola there in Chicago. And, and so, again, you're right. You sort of do see this um, in, in the early codification of this. In the, in, let's say in the 70s, it framed by psychology and spirituality. And I think it's so interesting that there was this desire to keep it kind of in an inner circle because of the complexity and nuance and the concern that it would be simplified into these, you know, little personality types. And ultimately, that really is kind of exactly what happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, t- in, in modern day, it really has become people picking their type and exactly what you said, kind of um, getting into the typology and that kind of a thing. So when we're talking about the Enneagram, how do we avoid being too black and white or too simplistic with this? So my sense is that when we're talking about the Enneagram today, and it's like I said, it's modern application. What, what we're essentially reflecting on is, is a collection of teachings or Enneagons or Enneagrams that sort of show us our ego set of coping addictions that we've wrapped up around a childhood wound so that we don't have to tell ourselves the truth about who we really are. Okay, that's so I want you to say that one more time because that's so good. Well, it's I mean, it's 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 our defense mechanisms. It's the projection of our own ego mythology. And, and what the Enneagram shows us is how we defend that. What the Enneagram shows us is, is, is we, we've lost contact with our essence, with our true self, with our, 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 our purpose for being here. And, and, and so first, we put the blame of that loss for contact on, on a so-called childhood wound, which, which actually I think is simply confirmation bias of um, learning to pretend, learning to lie, and, and learning to cope with the suffering of humanity. Right. And then rather than face that suffering, we, we avoid it and we avoid it in nine different ways. And we avoid it with what's traditionally wow. called a passion, which is how our heart aches to reconnect with essence. And then a fixation, which is the, the sort of mental justification that our that our passion is a legitimate, a legitimate coping mechanism. So, yeah. Yeah. So if this is our ego set of coping addictions that we've wrapped up around this wound, we'll never be truthful with ourselves. And, and and I think that's the real urgent work that, that a lot of people don't sort of give themselves to when they when they start to to get excited about the Enneagram is that this is about excavating essence. And so, you know, to unearth this this buried treasure within us means we're going to get dirty. We're going to have to dig through a lot of to get down there and we're going to have to to uncover a lot of stuff that's painful about ourselves a lot of the ways that we we feed our own suffering addictions and tendencies yeah that's so good and I think it's so true I mean I know for myself you know I when I first realized my type I'm a three initially it was just kind of like a fun little description but the more that I do the work and it is kind of like peeling an onion there's so much that gets revealed but the more I realize it really isn't just like a funny, funny little personality thing or a quirk. This is what drives me. And it drives me in some really negative waves. It drives me away from living my life to the fullest. It drives me from intimacy. And I love what you said. It does become, become an obsession, addiction, distraction when we're not healthy. Right. And, and, and so what happens is we weaponize it. We become super interesting at a, at a dinner party with this, um, we, we, we start typing everyone else when in fact, like for most of us, I, I imagine we've mistyped or even if we've we've come to an accurate sort of rendering of our, our dominant type, we, we don't know what it is and we don't know what it's telling us. And and so, you know, for 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 yourself, somebody dominant in type three. Right. This is one of the, 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 the types that's considered to be most disconnected from their own heart. And that's surprising because, you know, the first triad of the Enneagram is this set of centers, these preferred or these dominant sort of spaces where we practice discernment. And so they call this the intelligence centers. And these are instincts in our body. These are feelings in our heart. These are our thoughts in our mind. And and type three is, is right there in the middle of the heart center. But because it's right there in the middle, it actually steps back from its own heart and it chases the sort of um, desire to have the heart touch, to have the to feel their feelings, to actually know that mm. that that love isn't admiration, that love isn't getting attention, but that right. that love is is the gift of pressing into your own solitude and realizing your value. Because folks who are dominant type three see and ascribe value to everything in their lives. 
Wow. <laughs> You're reading my mail. <laughs> there's, there's a lot behind this. And part of this is this the sort of attaching to the nurturing energy of, of, a, of a caregiver or a parent as a child because of this disconnect from their heart. They needed that nurturing caregiver to do for them what they, they, they found difficult to do for themselves. And this becomes one of their addictions. Right. So this has nothing to do with personality. Personalities are the masks that we fasten over the ego so that we don't have to sort of dig around in there and see where do these compulsions come from? Where are they rooted? What drives them? Yeah, you're kind of blowing my mind a little bit Um, because I've spent a decade as a psychotherapist, you know, and I really had failed to see that connection between a childhood wound and this typology, even though that's my background. It's interesting because there's so many theories of personality and nature versus nurture, whether you're born with it or if it's fixed. But I really do think that our early experiences shape the way that we react to the world. And even the description you gave of, you don't know my childhood, but you just described some of the deficits that I experienced, which shaped me into being a three. And I think that so much of this stems from our childhood deficits. Right. And so in the Enneagram, they, 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 in, in each of the sort of character or, or type component sort of pieces, they, they, they often refer to as an original wound or a childhood wound. And I actually don't like that language childhood wound because I actually don't think parents or, or parents or caregivers are actually wounding their children. I actually just think it, like I said, it's the confirmation bias of, of how we learned or, or how our sort of innate coping mechanisms were taking shape between ages two, three, four or five. Look, we, we, we all experience all nine of these childhood wounds because these so-called childhood wounds because of our inadequate holding spaces, because the inability for a parent or a caregiver to love perfectly and also our inability to receive love perfectly. And so Absolutely. actually, I think the, yeah. the, the, the a more accurate narrating of these childhood wounds is the impression we internalize of our parent or parents shadow. And it's it's you know, it's 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 unintentional, but we Absolutely. still see it. We still receive that energy. So when you're, you know, between ages two, three, four and five, when you start to learn to lie, how to pretend when 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 you really start to sort of find your your holding environments to be inadequate. I think this is when um, these so-called childhood wounds become the confirmation bias. And, and we may, in fact, actually want to put this on a nurturing and or protective parent or, or caregiver. But I, I, I think more than that, it's we're sort of born with these affinities to suffer our loss of, of essence. And, and our whole life is a, is, a, is a desire to get back to it. But we're afraid we won't. And so we cope. We cope with that fear. Like I said, in our hearts with our Enneagram types passion and in our heads with our, our Enneagram types fixation. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you know, but the kind of main focus of our podcast is self-care. And I'm curious how you think that learning your Enneagram type and diving into this work, how does this relate to self-care? How does this relate to our own mental health? our own sure. mindfulness. So I, 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 I say this a lot and I, and, I, and I feel like I can't say it enough. If you can't self-observe, you can't self-correct. And I think one of the things that the Enneagram does is it holds a, a mirror up to, um, like I said, our, our, our coping addictions, our, our defense strategies. It, it, it holds a mirror up to the ways that we actually don't let ourselves know the truth about who we are. And, and that's one of the tragic things is most of us don't know that we don't know who we are. So... If we can be truthful about this and look beyond personality to, to, to essence, if we can look beyond sort of the reductionism of, of, of sort of, you know, boiling somebody down to, to, to quirks and, and really start to do the hard work with this, I, I think what happens is we align ourselves with, with contemplative practice or, or mindfulness intentions to sort of mm. heal the damage of this confirmation bias of, of blame of, of disconnect. And, and so actually in my book, the sacred Enneagram, I, 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 I do this. I take solitude, silence, and stillness as prayer or contemplative postures, and then 
consent, engagement, and rest is mindfulness intentions. And I wrap them around the intelligence centers and then the Enneagram's harmony triads. And what you get is nine unique combinations of a contemplative posture and a mindfulness intention that actually arrest the the, the childhood wound, that actually arrest this sort of object relations theory overlay where we, we think we have to blame a parent or a caregiver. Mm. And we start to not blame ourselves, but we start to have compassion for ourselves um, by owning the, uh, the sort of ruts, the sort of muscle memory that we've, 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 we've created in, in these, in these very honest and very human um, desires to, to, to reconnect with who we, who we knew we once were or who we always hope we can become. That's good. And there's hopefulness in that. I love it. Well, th- for those of our listeners who are hearing this and want to do a deeper dive into the Enneagram as it relates to self-care or finding your true self, we really want to encourage you to check out Chris's book, The Sacred Enneagram. We'll have a link up at our website, selfiepodcast.com. Chris, I'm so appreciative of you taking the time to talk with us. I gleaned so much from this conversation and I think everyone Yeah, thanks well. so much for including me in. And, and really, I'm uh, thrilled that you're going to be sort of peeling back some of these layers because this is such a, a profound teaching. And, and really, if folks can give themselves to the, to the inner work required to sort of help wake up from, from our illusions, this is maybe one of the best tools I've, I've ever come across out there to aid in that. It is important and it is profound. It really is. So that's all for this week. Next week, we are diving into type one. Uh, We'll be talking all about what motivates the type one, positive attributes, negative attributes, the whole kit and caboodle. We have an interview lined up for that. And also, we're going to be talking about Botox because, you know, we like to keep it a little bit all over the place. We will be talking about Botox. Should you do it? Should you not do it? What's the deal? Thanks for joining us. Continue the selfie conversation with us on Instagram at at selfie podcast and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash selfie podcast. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to selfie on iTunes so that you can catch up with us next week. A huge thanks to Shepherd Audio for our intro music. Take care.